Footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to your nightmares and your favorite horror storytelling podcast, Dark Softly Tales. This is your host, Mav. I am still recovering from COVID. You could probably tell from my uh, stuffed up nose. So another short and sweet intro to part three of Algernon Blackwood's The Wendigo. I hope you guys are enjoying the story. I might be sick, but don't worry. I still got your hand. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. The Wendigo by Algernon Blackwood Narrated by Mav Sky Part 3 When a somewhat unordinary emotion has disappeared, the mind always finds a dozen ways of explaining away its causes. Simpson lit a last pipe and tried to laugh to himself. On getting home to Scotland, It would make quite a good story. He did not realize that this laughter was a sign that terror still lurked in the recesses of his soul. That, in fact, was merely one of the conventional signs by which a man, seriously alarmed, tries to persuade himself that he is not so. Defago, however, heard that low laughter and looked up with surprise on his face. The two men stood side by side, kicking the embers about before going to bed. It was ten o'clock, a late hour for hunters to be still awake. What's tickling ya? he asked in his ordinary tone, yet gravely. I... I was thinking of our little toy woods at home, just at that moment, stammered Simpson, coming back to what really dominated his mind, and startled by the question and comparing them to to all of this. And he swept his arm around to indicate the bush. A pause followed in which neither of them said anything. All the same, I wouldn't laugh about it if I were you, DeFago added, looking over Simpson's shoulder into the shadows. There's places in there nobody won't never see into. Nobody knows what lives in there either. Too big or too far off? The suggestion in the guide's manner was immense and horrible. Defego nodded. The expression on his face was dark. He too felt uneasy. The younger man understood that in a hinterland of this size, there might well be depths of wood that would never in the life of the world be known or trodden. The thought was not exactly the sort he welcomed. In a loud voice, 
cheerfully. He suggested that I was time for bed. But the guide lingered, tinkering with the fire, arranging the stones needlessly, doing a dozen things that did not really need doing. Evidently, there was something he wanted to say, yet found it difficult to get at. Say you, Boss Simpson, he began suddenly as the last shower of sparks went up into the air. You don't smell nothing, do you? Nothing particular, I mean. The commonplace question, Simpson realized, veiled a dreadfully serious thought in his mind. A shiver ran down his back. Hmm, nothing but burning wood, he replied firmly, kicking again at the embers. The sound of his own foot made him start. And all evening, you ain't smelt nothing? Persisted the guide, peering at him through the gloom. Nothing extraordinary and different to anything else you've ever smelt before? No, no man, nothing at all. He replied aggressively, half angrily. Defago's face cleared. Oh, that's good. He exclaimed with evident relief. That's good to hear. Have you? Asked Simpson sharply, and the same instant he regretted the question. The Canadian came closer in the darkness. He shook his head. I guess not, he said, though without overwhelming conviction. It must have been just that song of mine that did it. It's the song they sing in lumber camps and godforsaken places like that, when they're scared of the windigos somewhere around, doing a bit of swift traveling. And what is the windigo? Simpson asked quickly, irritated because he could not prevent that sudden shiver of the nerves. He knew that he was close upon the man's terror and the cause of it. Yet a rushing, passionate curiosity overcame his better judgment and his fear. DeFago turned swiftly and looked at him as though he were suddenly about to shriek. His eyes shone, but his mouth was wide open. Yet all he said or whispered, rather, for his voice sank very low, was... It's nothing. Nothing but what those lousy fellers believe when they've been hitting the bottle too long. A sort of great animal that lives up yonder. He jerked his head northwards, quick as lightning in its tracks, and bigger than anything else in the bush. And it's supposed to be very good to look at. That's all. Oh, a backwoods superstition began Simpson, moving hastily toward the tent in order to shake off the hand of the guy that still clutched his arm. Okay, come on, come on, hurry up for God's sake and get the lantern going. It's time we were in bed and asleep if we're gonna be up with the sun tomorrow. The guide was close on his heels. I'm coming, he answered out of the darkness. I'm coming. And after a slight delay, he appeared with the lantern and hung it from a nail in the front pole of the tent. The shadows of a hundred trees shifted their places quickly as he did so, and when he stumbled over the rope, diving swiftly inside, the whole tent trembled as though a gust of wind struck it. The two men lay down, without undressing, 
upon their beds of soft balsam boughs cunningly arranged. Inside, all was warm and cozy. But outside, the world of crowding trees pressed close about them, marshalling their million shadows and smothering the little tent that stood there like a wee white shell facing the ocean of tremendous forest. Between the two lonely figures within, however, there pressed another shadow that was not a shadow from the night. It was a shadow cast by the strange fear, never wholly exercised, that had leapt suddenly upon DeFago in the middle of his singing. And Simpson, as he lay there, watching the darkness through the open flap of the tent, ready to plunge into the fragrant abyss of sleep, knew, first, that unique and profound stillness of a primeval forest when no wind stirs. And when the night has weight and substance that enters into the soul to bind a veil about it, then sleep took him. Chapter 3 Thus it seemed to him, at least. Yet it was true that the lap of the water, just beyond the tent door, still beat time with his lessening pulses when he realized that he was lying with his eyes open and that another sound had recently introduced itself with cunning softness between the splash and murmur of the little waves. And, long before he understood what this sound was, it had stirred in him the centers of pity and alarm. He listened intently, though at first in vain, for the running blood beat all its drums too noisily in his ears. Did it come, he wondered, from the lake or from the woods? Then, suddenly, with a rush and flutter of the heart, he knew that it was close behind him in the tent. And when he turned over for a better hearing, it focused itself unmistakably not two feet away. It was a sound of weeping. Defago upon his bed of branches was sobbing in the darkness as though his heart would break. The blankets evidently stuffed against his mouth to stifle it. And his first feeling, before he could think or reflect, was a rush of a poignant and searching tenderness. This intimate, human sound heard amid the desolation around them woke pity. It was so incongruous so pitifully incongruous and so vain. Tears in this vast and cruel wilderness. Of what avail? He thought of a little child crying in mid-Atlantic. Then, of course, with fuller realization, in the memory of what had gone on before, came the descent of the terror upon him, and his blood ran cold. Defago, he whispered quickly, What's the matter? He tried to make his voice very gentle. Are you in pain? Unhappy? There was no reply, but the sounds ceased abruptly. He stretched his hand out and touched him. The body did not stir. Are you awake? For it occurred to him that the man was crying in his sleep. Are you cold? 
He noticed that his feet, which were uncovered, projected beyond the mouth of the tent. He spread an extra fold of his own blankets over them. The guide had slipped down in his bed, and the branches seemed to have been dragged with him. He was afraid to pull the body back again for fear of waking him. One or two tentative questions he ventured softly, but though he waited for several minutes, there came no reply, nor any sense of movement. Presently, he heard his regular and quiet breathing, and putting his hand again gently on the breast, felt the steady rise and fall beneath. Let me know if anything's wrong, he whispered, or if I can do anything. Wake me at once if you feel queer. He hardly knew what to say. He lay down again, thinking and wondering what it all meant. Defago, of course, had been crying in his sleep. Some dream or other had afflicted him. Yet never in his life would he forget that pitiful sound of sobbing and the feeling that the whole awful wilderness of woods listened. His own mind busied itself for a long time with the recent events, of which this took its mysterious place as one. And though his reason successfully argued away all unwelcomed suggestions, a sense of uneasiness remained, resisting ejection, very deep-seated, peculiar beyond ordinary. Chapter 4 But sleep, in the long run, proves greater than all emotions. His thoughts soon wandered again. He lay there, warm as toast, exceedingly weary. The night soothed and comforted, blending the edges of memory and alarm. Half an hour later, he was oblivious of everything in the outer world about him. Yet in sleep, in this case, was his great enemy, concealing all approaches, smothering the warning of his nerves. As, sometimes in a nightmare, events crowd upon each other's heels the conviction of dreadfulest reality, yet some inconsistent detail accuses the whole display of incompleteness and disguise. So the events that now followed, though they actually happened, persuaded the mind somehow that the detail which could explain them had been overlooked in the confusion, and that therefore they were but partly true. The rest, delusion. At the back of the sleeper's mind, something remains awake, ready to let slip the judgment. All this is not quite real. When you wake up, you'll understand. And thus, in a way, it was with Simpson. The events, not wholly inexplicable or incredible in themselves, yet remained for the man who saw and heard them a sequence of separate facts of cold horror, because the little piece that might have made the puzzle clear lay concealed or overlooked. So far as he can recall, it was a violent movement running downwards through the tent towards the door that first awoke him and made him aware that his companion was sitting bolt upright beside him, quivering. Hours must have passed, 
for it was the pale gleam of dawn that revealed his outline against the canvas. This time, the man was not crying. He was quaking like a leaf. The trembling he felt plainly through the blankets down the entire length of his own body. Defago had huddled down against him for protection, shrinking away from something that apparently concealed itself near the door flaps of the little tent. Simpson therefore called out in a loud voice some question or other. In the first bewilderment of waking, he does not remember exactly what, and the man made no reply. The atmosphere and feeling of true nightmare lay horribly about him, making movement and speech both difficult. At first, indeed, he was not sure where he was, whether in one of the earlier camps or at home in his bed at Aberdeen. The sense of confusion was very troubling. And next, almost simultaneous with his waking, it seemed the profound stillness of the dawn outside was shattered by a most uncommon sound. It came without warning or audible approach, and it was unspeakably dreadful. It was a voice. Simpson declares, possibly a human voice, hoarse yet plaintive, a soft roaring voice close outside the tent, overhead rather than upon the ground, of immense volume, while in some strange way, most penetratingly and seductively sweet. It rang out, too, in three separate and distinct notes or cries that bore in some odd fashion a resemblance, far-fetched yet recognizable, to the name of the guide, DeFago. The student admits he is unable to describe it quite intelligently, for it was unlike any sound he had ever heard in his life, and combined a blending of such contrary qualities. A sort of windy, crying voice, he calls it, as of something lonely and untamed, wild and abominable power. And even before it ceased, dropping back into the great gulfs of silence, the guide beside him had sprung to his feet with an answering, though unintelligible, cry. He blundered against the tent pole with violence, shaking the whole structure, spreading his arms out frantically for more room, and kicking his legs impetuously free of the clinging blankets. For a second, perhaps two, he stood upright by the door, his outline dark against the pallor of the dawn. Then, with a furious rushing speed, before his companion could move a hand to stop him, he shot with a plunge through the flaps of canvas and was gone. And as he went, so astonishingly fast that the voice could actually be heard dying in the distance. He called aloud in tones of anguished terror that at the same time held something strangely like the frenzied exultation of delight. Oh, oh, my feet of fire, my burning feet of fire, oh, this heightened fiery speed. It had all come about with such rapidity that, but for the evidence of the empty bed beside him, Simpson could almost have believed it to have been a memory of a nightmare carried over from sleep. He still felt the warm pressure of that vanished body against his side, 
there lay the twisted blankets in a heap. The very tent yet trembled with the vehemence of the impetuous departure. The strange words rang in his ears, as though he still heard them in the distance, wild language of a suddenly stricken mind. Moreover, it was not only the senses of sight and hearing that reported uncommon things to his brain, for even while the man cried and ran, he had become aware that a strange perfume, faint yet pungent, pervaded the interior of the tent. And it was at this point, it seems, brought to himself by the consciousness that his nostrils were taking this distressing odor down into his throat, that he found his courage sprang quickly to his feet and went out. The gray light of dawn that dropped, cold and glimmering between the trees, revealed the scene tolerably well. There stood the tent behind him, soaked with dew, the dark ashes of the fire still warm, the lake white beneath a coating of mist, the islands rising darkly out of it like objects packed in wool and patches of snow beyond, among the clearer spaces of the bush. Everything cold, still, waiting for the sun. But nowhere a sign of the vanished guide, still, doubtless, flying at frantic speed through the woods. There is not even the sound of disappearing footsteps, nor the echoes of the dying voice. He had gone, utterly. There was nothing. Nothing but the sense of his recent presence, so strongly left behind about the camp, and this penetrating, all-pervading odor. And even this was now rapidly disappearing in its turn. In spite of his exceeding mental unease, Simpson struggled hard to detect its nature and define it, but the ascertaining of an elusive scent not recognized subconsciously and at once is a very subtle operation of the mind. And he failed. It was gone before he could properly seize or name it. Approximate description, even, seems to have been difficult, for it was unlike any smell he knew. Acrid, rather, not unlike the odor of a lion, he thinks, yet softer and not wholly unpleasing was something almost sweet in it that reminded him of the scent of decaying garden leaves, earth, and the myriad, nameless perfumes that make up the odor of a big forest. Yet, the odor of lions is the phrase with which he usually sums it all up. Then, it was wholly gone, and he found himself standing by the ashes of the fire in a state of amazement and stupid terror that left him the helpless prey of anything that chose to happen. Had a muskrat poked its pointed muzzle over a rock, or a squirrel scuttled in that instant down the bark of a tree, he would most likely have collapsed without more ado and fainted. For he had felt about the whole affair the touch somewhere of a great outer horror and his scattered powers had not as yet had time to collect themselves into a definite attitude of fighting self-control. Nothing did happen, however. A great kiss of wind ran softly through the awakening forest, 
and a few maple trees here and there rustled trembling to the earth. The sky seemed to grow suddenly much lighter. Simpson felt the cool air upon his cheek and uncovered head and realized that he was shivering with the cold and, making a great effort, realized next that he was alone in the bush and that he was called upon to take immediate steps to find and succor his vanished companion. Make an effort accordingly he did, though an ill-calculated and futile one, with that wilderness of trees about him, the sheet of water cutting him off behind, and the horror of that wild cry in his blood. He did what any other inexperienced man would have done in similar bewilderment. He ran about, without any sense of direction, like a frantic child, and called loudly without ceasing the name of the guide. Defago! 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 He yelled, and the trees gave him back the name as often as he shouted, only a little soften. Defago! 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 Who likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mav Sky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mav Sky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today. <laughs>